Wonderful. Amen. Thank God for that song. You know, that wasn't supposed to be the song today. But God made it the song today. It's a good set for this message about Jesus being more than wonderful. And I know you were probably thinking, we read a lot this morning. You're probably wondering and worried about how I'm going to get through all of this. And praise God, because I'm worried too. But we're going to get through. And I want to talk about this book of Revelations. Many people get intimidated by it. But I wanted to go here because our church is doing well. We're growing. And I was looking through the scripture for a message to the church. And, and, and here I found it. A message to God's church. And, I, and, and the book of Revelation is Jesus' revelation. It's a gift by God the Father to illustrate his purpose to his church. And I mean that word illustrate because the book of Revelations is very artistic. It's very visual. It's through vision. A vision provides layers of meaning that the words on a page don't just convey at all. They don't stray from the words on the page, but it creates an image in our minds. And it should evoke in us a deep sense of meaning And it's sad to me that so many people are afraid of revelations because there's so much to be found in this book. And this book is dedicated to God's eternal purpose. And when we come to this passage today, what we realize is that God refuses to reveal his purpose without addressing the needs of his church first. And he addresses the needs of his church by showing us a vision of Jesus. And so we start off in chapter 1, verse 9, it says, I, John, your brother. It's written by the apostle John, and he calls himself our brother and our partner. Now, I love that because he talks about brother and partner, what you bring in in that sense of family. He's our brother. He's our partner. These two terms together, part, brother, partner, they emphasize the unity that's required to work in the church. But it also emphasizes John's humility. He didn't say apostle. He didn't say prophet. He didn't say best friend of Jesus. All of those would have been true. He didn't say the one who took care of Jesus' mother when he left. The one who Jesus loved. He said, your brother. I'm your brother. I'm no better than you. And then I love how he defines Christianity. Did y'all see that? We could almost miss that. But he says, your partner in what? In the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. Mm. The tribulation is a suffering. That's part of Christianity. You can't escape it. Behind me is a picture of a cross. That's a tool of suffering. Suffering is central to Christianity. It's a kingdom. It's the realm of authority. The patient endurance, it's the faith and hope. And what is all found in Jesus? Suffering without Jesus is pointless. A kingdom without Jesus will eventually fail. And faith and hope without Jesus are just somebody selling you a dream. But Christianity is defined by all three of those things in Jesus. And John, at this point, is exiled. 
He got exiled, got kicked out of the empire for preaching and teaching God's word. He says, I got exiled because of the word and testimony. The word he's talking about preaching and teaching. The testimony is the fact that he witnessed some stuff that people didn't want him to witness. He was an apostle. Why was he an apostle? Because he saw all the ministry that Jesus had done. People didn't like that. But despite his hardships, he, and I hope just like you, was still in the spirit on the Lord's day. He was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And as he's in the spirit on the Lord's day, he hears this call. I heard a voice behind me like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. Write what you see. Sure. And he sees this vision. It's got seven golden lampstands. And then this son of man walking with eyes like fire, feet like bronze, a voice like the waters, holding seven stars, a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth, face shining like the ancient of days. And we look at this and we say to ourselves, there's some things about this image that I know and some things that I don't know. I know that this is Jesus. I know what the eyes of fire mean. That means his piercing gaze. I know he's got feet like bronze that emphasizes the strength by which he stands. I know the voice like waters is the clarity and the roar of God's holy word. We learn later the seven stars are the angels of the churches. The two-edged sword come out of his mouth is the power that he has by which he can create or destroy just by saying the words. His face is shining because he is like the ancient of days, but there's stuff we don't know. I don't know why he's got to have a golden sash across his chest. I just don't know. Why does his hair got to be white? I suppose it can emphasize his purity or maybe emphasize the fact that he looks young, but he's actually old. I can't tell you. Why the feet got to be made out of bronze? Why not steel? Why not iron? There's stuff we don't know. And Revelation is great at layering these things because he's putting some deep meaning in it. And it's this. We know Jesus, and yet we desire to know him more. He's revealed to us, but he's still mysterious to us. We'll be in heaven a million years, and we'll still be learning about who Jesus is. But he will be telling us who he is the whole time. There will still be things about him we just don't know. And then in the next section, the Son of Man, he speaks. John falls down in front of him. He could barely stand to stand in the presence of Jesus. And Jesus lays his hand on him. He says, fear not. Fear not. I am the first and the last. This is me. I'm eternal. I'm the living one. I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore. I rose again. In other words, he's saying, John, you know me. And not only do you know me, I'm on your side. 
He's not saying don't fear him because he's not a fearful, provoking image, because he is. But he's saying don't fear me because I'm on your team. Or better yet, you're on mine. I got good intentions towards you, John. And he proves that he has good intentions because he explains the mystery. Verse 20, as for the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. The seven lampstands are the seven churches. He has in his hand these seven stars. And we could look at it in two ways. One is we could look at these stars as the fact that every church perhaps has an angel that's guarding. We look at another way and say these seven stars could be the messengers or the pastors of these churches. God holds the pastors in his hand. Either way, something about the spiritual essence of that church is held in his hand. And then we notice these lamps represent the church. What are churches supposed to do? They are supposed to spread the light of Jesus to a dark world. Without the lamp of the church, the world will be exceedingly dark. And it is our purpose as churches to show the light and expose the darkness. And he writes seven letters. These letters have deep meaning to us. When I was reading these letters, I just was in awe of the beauty of God's word. And let me just show you a little bit of it. The first set of churches that I want to look at, and we're going to look at these in sets, okay? The first set I want to look at is the ones that Jesus threatens to remove. That's the first and the last. And there's a pattern to this, and this is not a mistake. Please notice the patterns. He says to the church of Ephesus, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. In other words, he's saying, I have in my hands the spiritual essence of the church, and I walk among the lampstands. I'm in charge of the church. I know. I know. What does he know? I know you hardworking Ephesians. I know you fight evil. I know you expose evil. I know you care deeply about the word of God. Oh, you dedicated. You're faithful. You're working hard. But I have this against you. You got no passion. You're just doing it to do it. Passion has been replaced by cold theology. It's academic, and churches like this are across America. People get up here, and they say words that nobody in the pews even know what they mean because somebody done studied that word and found that word in a book, and it sounds good to them. Other people are taking God's word and turning it into a scholarly lesson, an exercise in your mind, and barely ever talk about how you should live. You go to that church, and the praise time, you kind of had to get through it. And you get to the Word, and they deep in the Word. You know, they deep in it. I mean, it might be boring, but it's deep. 
praise God. I always tell people, praise God. If anybody can stay awake through your whole sermon, they learned a lot. But they did. They're slow. They're cold. No passion. They think the word of God is just a set of truths, a set of do's and don'ts. And he says, remember where you have fallen. How dare you come to church with no passion? How dare you have my church? And you don't got no fire in your belly. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I'm going to remove your lampstand. Now, by all accounts, if we look at that church, we say, Jesus, you're going to remove that church? Because that's what he means. You're going to remove that church? They're doing a lot of good. He said, I don't need a church without passion. I don't need a church without passion. And I say, you got this? You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Jesus got some hates. We need to know this. And we also need to know a little bit about the Nicolaitans, which is hard to find out 2,000 years after it happened, but the Nicolaitans apparently perverted grace. And what they would do is say things like, God is going to forgive us anyway, so it's okay for us to sin. Yeah, you know. Other people have rumors that they had, you know, big shared their wives and things like that. Others of them, there's theories that maybe they said anything that happened in the flesh wasn't truly sin. It's what you did in your spirit that mattered. We got a lot of Nicolaitans these days. Jesus hates those things because they pervert his grace. There's a lot of people out there saying only God could judge me. That's a Nicolaitan belief. I hear that in every other hip-hop song. Only God can judge me. He, yeah, only he can and he will. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear. Now, I want you to notice, he who has an ear, that's only said by Jesus. That's a Jesus saying right there. You can look and search. There's only one other reference, and that's in Ezekiel, and that's God the Father saying it. He who has an ear, let him hear. And in that, he introduces a parable. In fact, he always introduces a parable. And what's a parable? A parable is something that seems obvious in the beginning but it's got a deeper meaning inside. Don't miss what I'm telling you. And he says, to the one who conquers, I got a promise for you. I'll give you the tree of life. Eternal life. That vitality that won't even let you die. Let's look at the next church that's just like this church. Skip down, chapter 3, verse 14, the seventh church. He says, to the angel of the church of Laodicea, write the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I am truthful. I'm the final word. I'm the powerful word. That's what he's saying. I'm the words who establish creation. And then he says, I know. Mm. What do I know? You're neither cold nor hot. Now, many people have misinterpreted this. They said they either on fire or be cold. That's not what he's saying. That would be like saying the church would be good if it was extra wicked or extra good. No. But you see, 
Jesus is making a play on words. Jesus loved making plays on words if you study the scriptures. And Laodicea was between hot springs and cold springs. Hot springs are good for your health. Cold springs are good to drink from. And they're neither, so they're useless. He said, you're useless and you're nasty. I'm going to spit you out my mouth. You're a useless church. He said, you say, look how he mocks them. You say, I'm rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refining fire. Here's the thing. They were rich in Laodicea, and the rest of the churches was poor. There's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. It's the same reason why some Christians can survive in very liberal environments because they make compromises. Back in those days, if you wanted to be working in certain cities, you had to make pacts that you would also worship their gods. And the Trishas and Laodicea had made a few pacts. So, of course, they got money flowing in. Well, I'm giving it to the Lord, though. Do you really think the Lord want that money? He said, I want gold refined and fire. In other words, you need to purposefully go through hard times. Stop living an easy life. Stop taking the easy road. Stop getting along with everybody. He says, you need to go through that and you need to get some white garments, some purity. So you will stop being naked. It will stop being ashamed. You need to get some salve from me so you can stop being blind. Now, he says all these things, and he said, hold up now. I see you getting hurt, clenching up in the seat. He said, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. I'm doing this out of love. I'm spanking that butt out of love. Behold, and this is a scary verse. People always take this as like, a nice verse. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. But if you don't, hmm, he leaves that open. But to the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. You'll be part of me ruling over all creation. Just like I sit down with the Father on his throne. To he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. There's a second set of churches. These are churches who face fierce persecution from the Jews, but they remain faithful. And God does not criticize them at all. Just look up from Laodicea, go up a few verses to the church of Philadelphia. This is the sixth church. He says, to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write the words that a holy one, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one will open. I'm the one who opens doors. I have the key to the storeroom of David. In other words, I got all the treasures in the heaven. I know. I know that I've set an open door for you. And I know you only got a little bit of power, but you kept my word. You don't need a lot of power to obey me, he says. 
I will make your enemies bow before you. Woo! We always say to ourselves, man, you know, we got to humble ourselves before our enemy. Jesus said, no, I'm going to humble them before you. I'll make them bow down to you. Wow. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, he calls them, who say they are Jews or not lie, but they, they are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow before you, and they will learn that I have loved you. Or you, they're going to know who they mess with. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming. I'm going to save you and protect you. I'm coming soon. Just wait for me, he says. Just hold out. Keep being faithful what you're doing. Praise God for you guys at Philadelphia. Keep on doing what you're doing. See, to the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. You're going to be one of the icons that the temple of God will not do without. I'm going to write my name on you. It's going to be a new name that nobody else knows. I'm going to write the name of my God on you. I'm going to write the name of the holy city on you. In other words, you're going to be part of all of those things. And you can never be removed because you're a pillar. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Look back in chapter 2, verse 8. To the angel of the church of Smyrna write, the words of the first and last who died and came to life. I'm the one who's the God over eternity and life. I know your tribulation and poverty. I know everybody else is thinking you poor. Perhaps the church at Laodicea looking at you saying, why don't you make a few packs? You'd make some money. But to me, you're rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews but are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear. And we hear that, we say, amen, Jesus is going to save them from all their troubles. But that's not what he says. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Hmm. Hmm. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, and, I, prison, and I'm going to let him. You'll be tested, and I will let you be tested. For ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful to the death. Be faithful to the death. Who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, you won't be hurt by the second death. Everybody knows the first death can hurt. Many of us have watched loved ones wasted away. But if they have hope in Jesus Christ, they will not be hurt by the second death. Let's look at the third set of churches. These are churches that are struggling with compromise. And Jesus promises to come to them and deal with them. Look right below Smyrna, the church of Pergamum. says the words of him who has a sharp two-edged sword. In other words, I come ready to fight. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. You stay faithful, even though one of your lead pastors got killed. Praise God for you people. Praise God. I'm with you. You guys are literally outside the temple. And what did he mean by where Satan's throne dwells? Either he meant one or two things. One is Satan's spiritual kingdom was based there. And only Jesus would know that. 
Another one is there was a temple there where they worshipped a snake. They said it was a temple of healing. But we know what a snake is. It's a symbol of Satan. And he says, but I have a few things against you. You see, you got some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam. And what did Balaam like to do? Balaam liked to trick the people of God and give them excuses not to obey God. And we got a lot of that in churches today. Mm-hmm. Oh, you ain't got to submit to your husband because he ain't following the Lord. Hmm. Is that what the scripture says? Oh, we got a woman pastor in here because no men want to be faithful. Is that what the scripture allows? Oh, we allowed divorce in here because he wasn't no good. Is that what God says? I thought God said he hate divorce. We got a church program to help you sign up for welfare. What did the Bible say? If you don't work, you should not. We got people giving people every reason to not obey God's word. You also got some who hold to the teaching in the Nicolaitans. Repent. If not, I will come. I'm coming up in there. And I will war with you with a sword in my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some hidden man and give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. What is he saying? I will give you the hidden man. In other words, I will sustain you in ways that nobody will know how you would be sustained. I'm going to give you, now we live in a culture that talks about our identity all the time. People are saying they could be an identity of a man one day and a woman the next. But God says, you will, I will give you your identity. And it will be etched in stone. It can't be changed. Nobody can change it. You will always know who you are in me if you conquer. Go down to the church of Sardis. The beginning of chapter 3 says, The words of him who has seven spirits, and seven stars, what is he saying? I'm the one in control who orders the Holy Spirit. I am the one who is in charge of all the spiritual realm. I hold the seven stars in my hand. I know you got a reputation for being alive. Right? They were probably hooping and dancing. That was one of them churches. Mm-hmm. Praise music was kicking. But you did. But you did. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. I, I read those words with a little bit of a bite to them. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. You have failed me. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Woo! Jesus said he's coming. Not to do nothing nice. He says, strengthen what remains and is about to die. Things are dying in your church, and you hooping and hollering. But you're not paying attention to my word. Oh, you got a reputation for being lively. I'm sure you got exciting services, but are you living a life that's honorable? You might say, I'm reading too much, but look what he says. 
You only got a few names of people who haven't soiled their garments. In other words, people living impure lives. He says to the one who conquers, I'm going to clothe you in white garments. I'm going to clothe you in purity. And I will not blot your name out of the book of life. I will confess your name before the Father and his angels. I will proudly announce you when you come into heaven. I thank God I got two grandfathers. They got announced like that when they went into heaven. Ernest Robert Kenner, that's mine. All the angels said amen. Welcome. Jerome Mac Hope, come on in. You're welcome here. All the angels say, amen, he belongs here. He's conquered. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then lastly, and most importantly, we got the church of Thyatira. It's the only church that Jesus breaks a few things, a few patterns in to let us know that he's addressing all the churches. He first starts off his address with the words of the Son of God. I'm the Son of God. I'm addressing you as God. I need you to know that God is speaking. And he says, I know your works, your love, your faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works succeed the first. I know you've been doing good. I know you're growing, but I got a problem. You're too tolerant. Oh, I know we got Tolerance Day and all that stuff. I don't like Tolerance Day. Because you got that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and all she's doing is seducing my people to do sin. And I'm going to put her and kill her. And I'm going to kill her children. And you better get away from her. You see, you need to understand this. I will strike her children dead so bad that all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. This is the only time he breaks from the churches, one church and says all churches. He said, everybody needs to know this. I am the one who judges the heart and the mind. And I will give each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep-seen things of Satan, to you I say, I don't lay on you any other burden. Only held fast what you have until I come. Be faithful. To the one who conquers and who keeps my words to the end, that's the only time he adds something to to the one who conquers. He explains what it means to conquer. That means to persevere, to be faithful to the end. I will give authority over all nations. I will give you the morning star. In other words, you'll have guidance when it's dark. You'll still be able to see where to go. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, I want to give a few insights that we see here. First insight that I'll note is there are no commands to leave any church, no matter how bad it is. We got a lot of pastors writing articles about when to leave churches and this and that. I don't see Jesus writing that article. Mm -hmm. I also notice this, that he says, and 
I note that he never commends the church about its size or its choir or its building or its style or its youth ministry or whether the people wore suits or not or whether the people didn't wear suits or not. All the things that people like to focus on when they go to a church, what does he focus on? Personal holiness and your testimony as shown to the world. I'll note that we ought to be challenged in this passage to let Jesus interpret his own vision. Oftentimes when I come to the book of Revelation, I'm appalled by what pastors do to it because they will start to impose their own meaning into the text when Jesus will interpret the vision for himself. We are challenged as Christians to repent. I think a lot of us thought we repented when we got saved, but Jesus says keep repenting. I think the other challenge is that we got a war against false teachers. Everybody who has a false teacher in their church, and most of the churches have false teachers for some reason, he's telling them, go to war with them. He's challenging us to wake up and strengthen what is about to die. But I also see encouragement in these passages. The encouragement is that Jesus gives meaning to our struggle. We have struggles, and Jesus makes that into a story that has a victory in it. I'll notice that Jesus is the one who wants us to test the false teachers because we will be able to test them. We will be able to triumph over them. I noticed that he commanded John at the beginning, don't fear. I noticed that Jesus hates those who pervert his grace, just like we have distaste for it, so does Jesus. I noticed that he is commanding us to simple things, be faithful, endure. He encourages that he will humble our enemies. They may say they triumph over us today, but will they say that tomorrow? And then the last thing is Jesus reproves who he loves. I also want to look at the ministry of Jesus here. You'll notice the ministry of Jesus is not about him dying on the cross. I know that's the most important thing about Jesus, and I'm not saying that's not important, but in this passage, we don't learn about that. What we learn is that Jesus is the king of his church, that he rules and presides over his church, and that he is the one who we are accountable to. He walks in our midst. But then I also want us to take another step, and it's going to be the next section of our message, is the message has to be explained. You see, we have seven churches. We have a rational, fundamentalist church with no passion. We got a suffering but faithful church. We have a spiritually assieged church but trying to hold on. We have a growing but compromised church. We have a charismatic but dead church. We got a quiet but steadfast church. And we got a church that overestimates itself and Jesus calls useless. Seven churches. But seven is an important message because seven is the number for completion. And I know people don't like this about Revelation, but Revelation requires us to understand the symbols. And when we see seven churches, what we ought to see is one church. One church. What we ought to see is that this is Jesus' message to our church. I also want you to note that there is a formula to this. 
It's always addressed to an angel. It's always talking about who Jesus is in relation to the vision. He always starts with, I know. He always challenges. He always says, he who has an ear, let him hear. Now, sometimes it's at the second last, and sometimes it's the last. And then he says, to he who conquers. And why does he have that form? Because here's the thing, what he's trying to tell us is this. When he addresses the message to the angel, he's saying this is a spiritual doctrine. When he explains who Jesus is in relation to the vision, it's important for us to know who Jesus is in our mind and in our hearts. It's not just theology. It's something that we ought to be able to see. We need to know that Jesus knows, that he's walking among us. Much of the problem with churches today is that people do not act as if Jesus is walking among them. And I'm sad about that because here's the thing. There's no difference between the church and any other nonprofit if Jesus is not walking among us. If Jesus doesn't own us. That's why lots of pastors out there doing foolish things. Why? Because they don't think Jesus is there. Members going out there doing dirt, they come to church and say, amen. The reason you can do that is because you don't act like Jesus is amongst us and knowing what you're doing. The reason people don't read their Bible is because they don't think Jesus is looking over their shoulder, looking at what they're reading. The reason that we have secret sins is because we think Jesus is not alive. He just did what he did 2,000 years ago, and he doesn't apply today. You need to know that Jesus knows. He challenges us because we all need to accept Jesus' challenge. There's nobody that Jesus just wants to stay where they are today. Even the faithful churches that he doesn't criticize, he says, be faithful to the death. Keep what I gave you till I return. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear, because he wants us to hear what the Spirit says, even the deep things, even the hidden messages. And he says to the one who conquers, because he wants us to persevere to obtain his promises. We also need to understand this formula. Who Jesus is, who that specific church is, the fact that there's a related challenge and a related promise. So let's just go through that exercise. He who holds the seven stars challenges the rational, fundamentalist church to return to their first love or I'll remove your lampstand. He challenges those of us who have lost our first love to return. And he says, if you conquer that problem, I'll give you eternal life. The first and last, the dead now living, he challenges the faithful and the suffering to be faithful into the death. He does not promise to get you out of all your problems. He challenges you to continue to be faithful, and his promise is you won't be hurt by the second death. The one who holds a two-edged sword challenges those who are spiritually at siege, those who live where Satan's throne is, to repent, lest I war against you. And he promises if you conquer that he will give you the hidden manna and a white stone with a name that only he knows. The Son of God challenges the compromising church to stop tolerating sin lest I judge them and throw them into death. But he promises the authority over the nations. The one who holds the seven spirits and the seven stars challenges the dead church to wake up or I'll come like a thief. 
but he promises that he'll dress them in white. The Holy One who opens and shuts doors promises, challenges the quiet and steadfast church to walk through the door that he opens. And he promises to make them into pillars in the house of God. The amen, the faithful and true, challenges the useless church to buy gold refined by fire and to open the door when he knocks. And if they do that, they'll sit on the throne with him. So I want to conclude with this. Jesus, the Son of Man, speaks to us. He says, fear not, I'm with you. And if we go further back, we see the Holy Spirit illuminates a vision so that we might understand that Jesus is walking amongst the churches. He's in our midst. He's here with us today. Jesus said, wherever two or three are gathered together, I'm in the midst. And John, in the Spirit, on the Lord's Day, hears from Jesus. Because God refuses to reveal his purpose without showing us his son, who will challenge us and illuminate his promises. Amen? Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for a message to your church. We pray that you will open our eyes, that we might see wonderful things from your word. That we might understand the promises therein and the challenges therein, Lord. That we would not be those who don't heed to your promises, Lord. That we will remember all the promises that you've given to your church. Seven promises. Seven, seven images of who you are. Seven challenges. So that we would understand, Lord. There's those of us in this room today who can identify with one of these churches. And in some sense, that represents us. And I pray that you would just bless us with that challenge, Lord. That we would not fall into the trap. That we would understand what we need to do to serve you more fully. That we will rise to that challenge. I pray, Lord, for sweet communion, Lord, that we will rise to that challenge. That we would not be so happy that we're doing well now, Lord, that we will serve you and continue to serve you. That we will be spurred to be more faithful, more fervent, more passionate, more practiced, more studied. In your name we pray. Amen.